is a sports agent who tries to get as much money as he can for his clients, but it's about much more than that. Growing up in New York, he fell in love with basketball through his father, who was a coach and gym teacher. He was a hustler, a bulldog on his high school team, and then resumed his association with the game after enrolling at Purdue and becoming a student manager. After working with Purdue's championship teams of the early 90s, he tried his hand at law, but his passion was to become a sports agent. He started from scratch, building his practice up from one client and gradually adding to it so that he is a thriving business today. His clients include international players such as Matt Howard, coaches such as Matt Painter and Conzo Martin, and assorted NBA and NFL players. The job is a lifestyle for him, something that absorbs every waking hour, and he wouldn't have it any other way. I'm Mark Monteith, and today I'm going one-on-one with Buddy Baker. All right, today's one-on-one episode comes to you from the Fifth Floor Studios, Nimbus Communications, downtown on the Circle. Going to talk to a sports agent today. I've never had a sports agent on the show. We've got Buddy Baker, uh, whose office is within walking distance during normal weather from the Circle here, Uh, but not today when it's this cold. But Buddy, um, your real name is Andrew, so how did you get the nickname Buddy? You know, it's funny because growing up in New York, um, obviously there's a famous NASCAR driver named Buddy Baker. Right. But I never knew anything about NASCAR. We don't pay attention to that. The only thing, cars racing in New York are racing past each other. <laughs> and uh, a guy that my dad ran a day camp, and a guy apparently was a race car fan, and he started calling me Buddy, and it just kind of stuck ever since then. Mm, you like it? I mean, I guess you have to. Yeah, huh? I, I wouldn't know the I wouldn't know the other Buddy Baker if he kind of walked past me. But yeah, you know, once it becomes your name, and when you're a little kid, you're kind of embarrassed when kids are calling you Andrew because everyone calls you Buddy. Yeah, it's kind of almost like making fun of you. So it's been Buddy so long, I wouldn't know any different. Does your family call you Andrew? There's, I don't know if there's a human alive that calls me Andrew. Okay, <laughs> well we won't start it then. Uh, it's funny you said you never had a you've never had a uh, an agent in here. Right. Well, this is gonna be, that means you're not going to be used to the amount of talking that is done from this end. You're probably used to doing more of the talking. No, actually, uh, the point of my show is to let the guests talk as much as possible. I'll keep the questions short. But you agents can talk. You it's a necessary talk. characteristic to be successful in our field. Um, where in New York did you grow up? In Long Island. Okay. What did your dad do? Dad was a gym teacher and a coach. Ah. And so kind of always say I grew up having my diapers changed on the gym floor. I'd been around it all my life. And um, knew at some, in some capacity they would eventually gravitate to sports, and that's okay. ultimately, you know, starting as an athlete to working for uh, working for the Purdue University basketball program, and that was kind of the foundation of which everything's been built. Right. So, did you participate in sports much as a kid? In high yeah, school? I was a high school, you know, basketball player and soccer player. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when, when I went to Purdue, I wanted to work for the basketball program, so got that opportunity. Actually, immediately after coach, after playing high school basketball, back then there was no AAU. Um, and so we would have the VART, the high school teams playing in local summer leagues. And uh, I was actually younger than some of the players I was actually coaching, you know, with unfortunately some of my teammates had been left back a couple of times. And so <laughs> they were a little bit older than me in my neighborhood. And so I actually coached them, which is a challenge. I mean, when you're coaching, you're 17 years old and you're coaching some kids, which are 18 and 19. Um, but, you know, I've always, I was always very passionate about the game. Yeah. How tall are you? Uh, not very. I was going to ask about that because you're short, and uh, you play, but you played high school basketball throughout high school? Yes. Obviously a point all, guard. Point guard, absolutely. You know, again, played with a lot of passion, and obviously as a point guard, and, 
you know, I, I think I played the game really, really, really hard. So now when I coach a lot of youth sports, uh, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, we, we just got to be smart on the court and we got to play our hardest. Yeah. And, you know, I think I exemplified that when I played and I've tried to take those same characteristics into uh, into my career. Were you good? I mean, I think Anything we're all, we're all legend here? in our own mind, right? I mean, <laughs> if we look back, I mean, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, there's not a lot of videotape. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think that, again, you know, sometimes you have guys that try to be cool in the court and... And it's really almost an epidemic in the modern generation, and I'm talking about from the youth level um, all the way on to the professional level. And mm -hmm. and I wasn't that way. I wanted to win at all costs. Um, I was the prototypical team guy, and and I tried to uh, have the characteristics which I had been taught. And and so um, I think I was a good player. But again, growing up in New York, as as we talked about before the show, the level of fundamentals and skill level of the average person in New York does not compare to what it is here in Indiana. I mean, it's such a higher level. And again, we're at a different time now. It's, you know, 30 years later. And uh, back then we didn't have, you know, skills development guys and doing all those type of things. We didn't have AAU. So I think I was a good, decent player for the time. But if we compare it to modern day, probably not so much. Yeah, but like were you a starter? Uh, uh, yeah, I was a star as captain my senior year. Captain, okay. Captain. I actually won the uh, Bulldog Award. Hustle so, Award? Yeah, so, um, and it's funny because you look at guys that, you know, one of the things you, you don't see too often um, at the youth level is taking charges, and that was kind of my forte. And, <laughs> um, and I took one one time on a 275-pound kid coming down the lane, and uh, my dad said when he fell on me, you didn't see me for about a minute. And I came out, and I, I didn't look. I looked purple when I came out. And, uh, <laughs> but I was known for that, again, willing to sacrifice my body for, you know, help the team. So if I had talked to you in high school and asked you what you wanted to do with your life, I guess a career, what would the answer have been then? Um, Probably been like coach of the Knicks maybe. <laughs> but yeah. I've probably been like coach of the Knicks or, um, you know, I don't know that we could, I could have answered that at the time. I know my – my grandma used to say that I always said I wanted to be a lawyer. And so it's funny because when you think of the two answers I just gave, I kind of combined those two things, right? Sports mm -hmm. and the law. So I really got an opportunity. So I, I don't know um, that it was any more detailed than that. Um, you know, I think you know, you're kind of looking for direction and doing those type of things. I got to college and um, when I went to Purdue, I majored in the restaurant hotel management. And I thought that maybe that was a field that I wanted to go into when you have to be more serious and kind of say, okay, where am I going with my life? Mm -hmm. um, but growing up, I think it was, I, I, I can speak well and I can argue well, right? And so mm -hmm. I can I can make sure my point was heard. And so that obviously my grandma would say, you'll be a lawyer. I said, okay. And then obviously sports was was my love. That's what I was passionate about. And when I graduated law school and it really started to make sense, it was truly the opportunity to combine these two things. Yeah. So when you were a kid growing up in New York, were you the kind of kid who was always like arguing sports and debating and that type of thing? Yeah. I guess, did you have to be a little scrappier than the other kids? I, don't know. I mean, we played sports, we argued sports, we watched sports. I mean, I, it, it's interesting. You always think, what would you happen if you had like direct TV and satellite TV and the internet? And obviously we didn't have those things. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think I would call myself a feisty feisty guy and um clearly arguing wasn't uh, something i was scared to do um and i've obviously taken it to another level sure i mean and we were i was aggressive on the field i was aggressive off the field and you know i wanted to be successful and i, and I don't like to lose mm -hmm. um and you know you have to have the mentality now as a business person but i think it's innate in who i was that's what i want buddy baker enrolls at purdue and joins gene katie's program as a student manager when one-on-one -on -one continues.
Welcome back to One on One. Mark Monteith here with sports agent Buddy Baker. He enrolled at Purdue after a year of college at East and entered the restaurant and hotel management program. He also joined the basketball program as a student manager for Gene Cady's teams in the early 90s. That gave him a taste of major college athletics, which helped fuel his desire to stay close to the athletes. He eventually did that by becoming an agent. But the practice didn't blossom quickly or easily. So why did you choose Purdue? I actually went to uh, SUNY Albany, State University of New York at Albany for a year. Um, and then really quickly realized I wanted to transfer. And my vision and my thought process was I want to go to a, a college that the whole town revolves around the college where it's a true college atmosphere. And there's very limited of those in the Northeast. I mean, you have some schools, but there's very limited ones. There's certainly none in New York that are state universities. So I was obviously going to go to a private school or either state school. At that point, I didn't know what I was going to major in. Um, so I, you know, then there's no internet. It wasn't as easy to get information. It cost a lot of money to make a long distance phone call. Yeah. So I sent out some letters and got some brochures and I got one from Purdue about hotel restaurant management. And, you know, I'd seen some cool movies about people working in hotels and I thought this would be cool. I'd get to travel the world and see cool places, live in a hotel. <laughs> I mean, I, I went as a kid, you love going to hotels, right? Yeah. And uh, you get to live, you become a manager of a hotel and you live on the top floor. There was a movie uh, in the 80s um, with Matt with uh, Matt Dillon called uh, My Bodyguard or something. And uh, where they lived, where they, the, the guy lived in a hotel. And I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. And so I, so I started looking at majors and I thought this would be a good one. And I found out Purdue had one of the best programs in the country. Now I think it's number one program in the country for hotel restaurant management. And so I got the brochure and I got it and I saw it about the big Greek system. And I saw about, um, the, you know, the big football games and the men obviously I'd followed football and basketball to some degree, even though, like I said, I was more of a Northeast guy. And my father and I flew out here and it was like, this is a college town. We didn't have the resources to just go to every college in the country. I was still in school as a freshman. So we took one visit, we came out here and uh, it was what we thought college was supposed to be like. And wow. it's kind of what you thought about. And again, having never been to a campus like that, I spent considerable time. That was kind of what my thought was. Interesting. So that's kind of like your one and only visit and you liked it and that was it. Yeah. I mean, again, it was like, if you were going to major in hotel restaurant management, um, like obviously UNLV, I didn't want to go to school in Las Vegas, thank goodness. Um, and so you kind of looking at different options and you say, well, you want a college atmosphere. And I remember walking through the streets and my dad went to Queens College in New York and he said, oh, if I can go back and do this again, I'd go here. And it was a total college, obviously a total college town. And it was like a Friday night because I was in school. And I, that resonated in my head. And I said, you know what, I, maybe I should take advantage of the opportunity to come here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think back, it was a scary proposition. You come to a, you come to a town. I didn't know where Indiana was on the map yeah. yet. And so you come out here for the first time. And I remember my parents leaving me, I don't know, a person on campus. And <laughs> obviously, uh, tw nearly 25 years later, it's a, it's a different world. Yeah. So what years were you at Purdue? 1990 to 1994. Okay. Those are pretty good years. Did you know early on you wanted to be a manager on the basketball team? How did that come about? Yeah, because like I said, I was coaching my high school team in the summers. Um, so what I did, I didn't know what a manager was. I, I, I just wanted to be a quote-unquote student assistant. Um, I, I didn't even know what that meant, what the response I thought I'd be on the side drawing up plays. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that I all the all the duties that come into a, running a program like that. I had no experience with stuff like that. So what I did was I got a letter of recommendation from a high school coach, letter of recommendation from my dad who was a coach, and I waited outside Coach Katie's office um, and told his assistant that I'd like to speak to him when he comes in. I only need five minutes. 
she was resistant or whatever. So I just waited inside Mackey. I saw him walk in. I recognized him from TV. And I kind of said, hey, coach, can I get five minutes of your time? I, I'm a you know basketball enthusiast. And he said, Coach Katie being, and now we're very, very close to this day, is such a great guy. He's like, sure, come on in. He let me in. And and I, I walked in. I had earrings in my ear and not knowing who Coach Katie was and not knowing really about his program. And I told him, he said, well, looks like we're going to have to keep you around basketball. He's like, go downstairs and uh, talk to Alan Major, who's now the head coach at Charlotte. Right. And I said, okay. And I went down there. And at the time, I think we had 14 players on the Purdue University you know, basketball team. And I was the 15th manager. So we had more managers than players. <laughs> and I was like, what are we doing here? And so trying to figure it out. And obviously, four years later, you know, the program changed and I changed and my relationship with people changed. And, um, you know, I guess I was too dumb to know to be nervous in there. And it was funny. I still think Alan and I talked about this not so, so long ago. I still think about it. And Alan made a comment like, and, you know, obviously, Coach K will flip out if anybody's wearing earrings and stuff like that. And I, I forgot I had earrings in. And, you know, obviously, Coach had some pretty strict policies. In fact, one time Glenn Robinson did an interview with ESPN with earrings in and he made ESPN refilm it. Really? And, yeah. Cause he didn't want, he didn't want it on there with Glenn with the earrings. In. Interesting. When did you get the idea of becoming an agent? You said you went back to your high school, you were the assistant coach. Uh, from that point forward, what happens? Well, when I went to law school here in, uh, uh in Indianapolis, I, the, I would get into the combine. This is before the combine, the NFL combine was on you know, there was no NFL network. There was no direct TV. There was barely any internet. So I would get passes through people I knew to get into the combine and I'd start building relationships. And I'd say, who from Purdue is working in the NFL? And I'd start to do that with the foresight that maybe I want to do this down the road. Maybe mm -hmm. this is something I have an interest in, but if nothing else, it's fun, right? It's fun to be walking around and having that credential at 23, 24 years old and mm -hmm. kind of getting to meet people that you normally wouldn't get to meet. So I would do that. Um, and then I became a lawyer and when I became a lawyer, um, I was at a small law firm and said, Hey, you know, they, they were, I was practicing law and they were very supportive of me, of young lawyers building their own practices. Well, I didn't really know what that meant, but I did know this. I did know I knew a lot of people in the world of professional basketball and football. Um, I did know I was a lawyer that knew how to negotiate contracts. I did know I could relate to people. And I knew I worked hard. I thought that those characteristics were what I needed to become an agent not knowing about what the infrastructure I needed and those type of things, I thought I could just go out and get players. Um, so I went to them and said, hey, I want to get certified by the MBPA and the NFLPA. Um, and they said, okay, great. And, you know, and I thought I can do it for a very reasonable amount of money, not realizing that this is a multi, you know, you're going to be competing against billion-dollar companies. Um, so I did that, and I had some modest levels of success. And, you know, from there it ultimately grew. But... Um, it was really once, you know, once I became a lawyer and I kept in touch with guys that were playing, you know, professionally overseas and, you know, I was still close with the program because I was here in town. Then you couple that with what I was doing in the world of football and kind of meeting a lot of people in the NFL. It just seemed like, and it was something I, I was very excited about. I was very passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so really, to be honest, Mark, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't realize what this business really entailed back then. I thought it would be cool. I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be something I could be good at, but I didn't really know what the business was. Yeah. Did you ever really practice law? You yeah. I, I practiced as a commercial litigator for about a year. Okay. Maybe a year and a half. Okay. Um, and uh, about a year and a half, I guess. And um, so I did that, and I continued doing it a little bit as I started this practice group, and then ultimately left that law firm and um, was brought on by another one to run their subsidiary entity and was there until I bought the company a little over uh, six years ago. 
sports agent, Buddy Baker, the guest on One on One today. Buddy, I don't know if you remember or not, but we had lunch one day several years ago. Mutual friend, I think it was Brad Edwards, uh, a guy that um, he worked at a, another radio station, and I knew him, and he knew you, and he brought us together for lunch, and you just kind of wanted to learn whatever you could, I guess, about an agent because I had, you know, was covering the Pacers and so forth. Do you remember that? And yeah, the, I mean, what, I mean, that, I guess that showed your initiative. You're reaching out and just trying to learn whatever you can from people. I don't know if I helped you or not, but you know, I do remember you reaching out that way. Yeah, I mean, I I still believe in that to this day. I was telling somebody this the other day when I was down at the East West Shrine game down in uh, in Tampa on St. Pete that I would sit in lobbies of hotels. Um, and, and I'd call it work in the lobby, and I'd sit in the lobby until four in the morning sometimes um, of the players' hotels at college all-star games. And I would look at the, the, the demeanor and how other agents would do it, and I would see this one agent that would be really control, be able to control the room. Um, and I would meet different NFL personnel, et cetera, because I didn't want to be able because when you go into a player's living room and you sit down with them and their family and you say, this is what we're going to do, you better know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to have a full grasp and understanding of the business um, from all different types, from big agents, from small agents, from NFL teams, from NBA teams, from people that were playing overseas to people who didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And fortunately and unfortunately, and I say that because there's, there's both, right? There's a fortunate part and an unfortunate part. I didn't have a mentor. So I kind of had to learn by trial and error. Yeah. And that, that was, it was tough. And, it, you know, and it was very, very challenging to do it that way. But it also, I learned. I learned there's nothing about the business that came easy and I didn't have a, I had every task. It's like when we first started bringing recruits in, um, we'd fly a recruit in when he was uh, exhausted his college eligibility. It was me. So I'd pick him up at the airport. I would take him. I would take him to dinner. And sometimes they'd have their family. I would drop their family off. I'd go out at night with them. I mean, I'd, I'd do the presentation. I would meet with them. I would, I organized everything and I had maybe an assistant, but that was it. And so I understood every aspect of the business. And, and I always believed that the more people you knew in the world of sports, mm -hmm. the more powerful and helpful that will be in your career. And I tell every young guy that wants to be involved in the world of sports in some capacity, if you want, if they go to college, and I, and I get a resume and they say, and the resume doesn't have any sports experience. I go, why not? There's tons of opportunity if they went to a big school or a small school to work in the world of sports, whether that's a manager, whether that's in the sports information department, whether it's in the training room, whatever it may be, you can work in the newspaper. You, there's a lot of different things that you can do to get exposure in the world of sports and develop those relationships. And, and then if you develop those relationships, people are going to want to help you if you've helped them. How do you get your foot in the door, especially when you're just starting out? How do you get your foot in the door with a player? You know, a guy's never heard of you, and you don't have many. You can't claim I'm so-and-so's agent, I'm so-and-so's agent. You know, how do you get started that way and convince a kid to go with you? You know, um, well, I mean, again, it's recruiting, and so you're going to use whatever advantages you have. Um, and whatever you think distinguishes you from everybody else in the industry. But at the beginning, nothing distinguishes you from anybody else. Then you're else. selling yourself. Yeah. Then you're that. Then that's what you're selling. Yeah. Then you're selling. I have, and you know it has to be. And and now I make sure I point that out on the other side. But you're selling. I don't have any clients. And so you want to. My entire life is vested in now. In the modern day, especially, no one's going to sign with somebody with no clients if they have options. Yeah. So you have to try to identify the people that have limited options, mm -hmm. but you have a chance to be successful, whether it's in the NFL or, you know, or international basketball. So trying to identify, I was the one, first guy I had that actually made an NFL team. I was the only agent who called him. And so, I mean, it, it was either me, he didn't have a lot of options. Yeah. 
Um, and as bad as inexperienced as I was, I was more experienced than him. And so, and, and anybody in this family. Who was that? Uh, I was a guy named Farron Wright that played at Rhode Island. And I had somebody who called me and said, hey, have you heard about this guy? This is a true story. And I said, no. And they said, look him up. And looked him up. And there was stuff out there on the internet that said he had knocked four guys unconscious on special teams. Well, in, in 2014, when concussions is such an issue, that's probably not the most popular thing to be heard. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, when teams heard that, and even today, truth be told, NFL teams will go, this is a guy we want on our team. Sure. I mean, back then there was wedges and there was wedge busters and there was those type of things. So um, this was the guy I thought. So I actually didn't get him in the training camp. I sent out, again, when there was people didn't use email as much back then, I sent out faxes to all 32 teams, probably – 20 times to every special teams coach with the article that said this guy knocked four guys unconscious on special teams. And there was a spe the special teams coach of the Vikings called me up and said, is this true? And I said, absolutely. And he goes, they didn't tell me about him. I said, here's his deal. He's an undersized defensive end and it's going to be a linebacker, but it's going to be a dominant special teams player. Think about it. I mean, this guy, he comes from a very rough upbringing and if you need him to run through a wall, just show him the wall. He'll run through it. And, and so he said, I'd be interested in bringing him for a workout. They ultimately signed him. This is after the draft. They signed him, and ultimately he wound up making their team and uh, and becoming a you know special team starter his first year in the NFL. And uh, that was kind of my my entrance into the NFL. Yeah. Um, and it was I can remember that we, that was one of the most memorable weekends of my life because a it was my first NFL player. But here's the crazier part. I had never met him. <laughs> it's all I, over the phone. It yeah. was all over the phone. Um, we didn't have the, I was at a small firm. We didn't have the resources to just go fly for meetings and those type of things. And I didn't have the time and I wasn't established. And who knew if this guy was going to be a real player? So I, it was all over the phone. So I never met him. And I remember I walk into the Vikings team hotel and his teammates are, oh, this is the agent you never met. And you're just trying to kind of get through the day and not be made fun of and, I sit at the bar with Mike Tice, who was a Long Island guy who I had talked to on the phone, and I'm talking to him. He's like, look, you guys are going to be a really good player. It was a crazy weekend. You know, I experienced so much that weekend. I sat at the game against my first true NFL player. I sat at the game next to Chris Carter's wife um, at the first game I ever go to as, an, you know, as a professional. Mm -hmm. I don't even know about credentials at that point. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of feeling my way around. Uh, so then I, go, I leave the game, no credential. It's pouring rain, like, I mean, torrential downpours. So I'm like, I couldn't find my client. I don't know how this whole thing works. I'm figuring it out. I start walking back to my hotel in Minneapolis, and I couldn't do it. It was raining so bad. I was like, I have to go back and for cover. So I went back, and I saw him walking through the parking lot, and we get a ride home from Randy Moss. So <laughs> Randy Moss just happened to walk out. He asked, is my client in the ride? I said, yeah. He said, can you take my agent back to this hotel? He goes, sure. They had just gotten blown out by Carolina. It was a year before they drafted Julius Peppers, Carolina. So Randy Moss, that conversation, that right, there was a ton of traffic living in the Metrodome. The conversations Randy with Randy Moss that day, I mean, I'll probably remember, you know, every day. They were some of the funniest things I've ever heard. Yeah. And so he drops me off, and then we go through the whole process, and I'm figuring this out. And um, I, next two days later, I go home. I'm about to go home, and it's September 11th. These it's 2001. So I mean, yeah. so I wound up uh, getting stuck in Chicago, and you know, so it was just your first weekend in the NFL dealing with it. You're kind of going through, meeting your client, you know, sitting next to Chris Carter's, getting a ride home from Randy Moss, <laughs> September 11th. That's a, that's quite the four yeah. days. How does an agent get clients? How does he keep clients? Buddy Baker discusses when one-on-one -on -one continues.
on one-on-one Mark Monteith with local sports agent Buddy Baker. The process of landing a client can take weeks or months. It requires patience and the plan if you do it right. Uh, how many clients do you have now? Represent, um, it fluctuates, but we represent about 20 professional basketball players from all over the world to the NBA, mm-hmm. about a dozen coaches and about 20 NFL players. Okay. Can you throw out a few names that people would recognize? Sure. I mean, locally, from a, let's start from a coaching standpoint. Coaching, uh, Matt Painter, Conzo Martin, Greg Lansing, Marty Simmons, Paul Lusk, uh, Stan Gerard at the University of Indianapolis, Todd Licklider. Um, from a uh, football standpoint, uh, Doug Baldwin, who's playing in the NFC Championship this week, the receiver with Seattle. Dane Fletcher's playing with New England. But then Jack Doyle and Joe Wrights, who are actually the only two local guys who are on the Colts mm-hmm. um, this past season. Tyvon Branch is one of the elite safeties. Corey Graham was a starting corner back for the uh, Ravens last year in the Super Bowl. Um, from a basketball standpoint, Chris Kramer, who played at Purdue. Um, Matt Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Smith, who both obviously played at Butler. Mike Green, who's probably the elite point guard right now in Europe, um, who's playing in Russia. Uh, Gal Meckel, who's with the Dallas Mavericks, who's the second Israeli ever in the NBA. So we've really built a, a kind of a, a a powerful practice, and we've tried to you know kind of equal it out, if you will, in the world of football and the world of basketball. Yeah. What is the standard agent's commission? What do you get out of a contract? Is it like three percent or four percent? In the NFL, they're both in the NFL and the NBA. They're regulated by the unions. Mm-hmm. So, and the unions are the players' union. So they kind of set the fees. And early on, when I was getting on, it was four percent in the NFL, and and it went down to three percent, which is what it is today. It's three percent of anything that's not collectively bargained for. And it's funny because players would think, well, that's only one percent difference. Well, it's not really one percent; it's twenty-five percent. Yeah, <laughs> right. so as far, as far as what you're getting, yeah. so, um, but it's three percent in the NFL. It's up to four percent in the NBA. Um, when I say up to, there's it's two percent if it's a minimum contract. Uh, if it's a rookie scale contract, a different set of rules applies. Um, so it's up to four percent. Doesn't those are the maximum that you can charge each person in international basketball? The general rule of thumb is it's ten percent paid by the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has it's independent of the player's compensation. The club the club pays ten percent, okay. whatever the contract value is. You talk about uh, your presentation. You know, when you first meet a potential client, do you have like a formal presentation? You sit them down. Do you have a slideshow or whatever. Uh, you know, what do you uh, show a guy to try to convince him to go with you? I just give them three words. I am awesome. <laughs> I if we give them um, no, we individualize stuff more. I mean, it's an ongoing process. You don't t- any player shouldn't sit down and have a two hour meeting and make a decision. This is a decision that's going to affect the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's really uh, anyone can come in and do a presentation for two hours and maybe be more impressive than somebody else. What I tell every family and what I mean and what I tell every player is build a relationship, get to know the people personally and professionally. It takes time. Um, that's why people that don't go through the process and, you know, sometimes have hard times because they don't know the people potentially they're going to be so involved in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's very few people in their lives, been more than agent if the agent's doing his job. We're involved in every aspect of our clients' lives. So, you know, it depends. We, sometimes we sit down with families five, six times. Um, but you know, we try to individualize it because that's what it's about. Yeah, we have to tell some of our success stories. Everybody does. We have to tell them about things we've done and our relationships and our network and all those things and our experiences because that's it's important as far as giving credibility. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is what are you going to do for me or for my son? 
um, because that's what the plan needs to be about. It's not as much about player A, it's about that specific person. So we try to individualize it a little bit more and say, here's how it is. Now we, we compare and contrast. We say, well, well, he's a little bit like this and here's why we did this and here's why and here's some of the things that we would do. But it's a very fluid process. You can't be, this is what we do each and every time. There are, you know, this business as the world is filled with, you know, it's not really, everything's not black and white. It's filled mm -hmm. with shades of gray. And so we kind of go through that with each individual player. But more so, Mark, what we want to do is we want to build a relationship. And if that's not important, um, again, we're not minimizing the business part of it. But if that's not important, if they can't see the big picture, and the big picture isn't the next four months with the draft. The big picture isn't just the next first two years of their career. Because when we represent a player, we want, A, want them to be successful, you know, professionally, so we both do well, you know, from a business standpoint. But we have to live with them. And they become part of, you know, our family, my family, et cetera. And if that's not somebody that we truly think that we can live with, and kids don't know. We, they're making decisions at 21 and 22 years old. Let's be honest here. Money tends to change some people. Mm -hmm. And so if you, these guys, if they haven't had any success, and all of a sudden, I always tell every college player, I don't care where you played. Alabama, Notre Dame, I don't care. It's not the NFL. Once you get to the NFL, you're under a whole different, it's a whole different level. I don't care where you are. Any bowl game is not comparing to what's going on this weekend, you know, with the NFC and AFC championship to go to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like the Super Bowl <laughs> in our country. Yeah. And so you people have to understand that. And how is that going to change? How is that kid going to change when he gets money? How is he going to change when he's sitting in that room and he's a wide receiver uh, back in the day and he's listening to Ocho Cinco? And, and, you know, there's so many negative influences. You have to find people that you think that you're going to have a long relationship with. Okay. You know, it's not news to you. Agents probably don't have the best reputation uh, from the movies and that type of thing. Uh, from your experience, you know, you've been one for quite a while now. How, quote, unquote, clean is your industry? How, I what percentage of guys do you think are really good people doing the right thing for their clients, uh, honest people? I think that the overwhelming majority of people in our industry are. In fact, Nick Saban's made some very negative comments, and, you know, I'm not very fond of what he's had to say out in the public sector as far as, you know, the the role of an agent and how agents are. The hypocrisy with somebody like Saban is that he has an agent. Mm -hmm. In fact, his agent also represents players. Um, so, and his agent actually doesn't have the best reputation and he doesn't have a negative reputation. But the point is, is that every, per, you know, the it's like any industry. There's good, and, you know, there's yeah. good and there's bad. It's kind of like saying all players in the NFL or in the NBA are bad guys. No, it's the exception, not the rule. Right. And in our business... The overwhelming majority, because we are so scrutinized, because we are under such a microscope, are doing things the right way. Mm -hmm. And it's so, and it's, I think that again, for every case you hear about people that are doing things wrong, you're always going to have that, especially in business. Um, but I think that that's like saying because Bernie Madoff did all these things, all financial advisors are crooks. Yeah. Or because you hear a story of a negative thing about a doctor or a lawyer that all of them in a negative, you know, connotation. It's just unfair and untrue. It's just we live in, that's the world we live in. And we live in a world that that's what, you know, captures headlines, et cetera. But again, I, I mean, it, I think it's, I think it's one of, and this, one of the more cleaner parts of the business as far as things that people do and the way people act. There's certainly some bad characters out there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly some, you know, but you're going to have that. Yeah. And you sign up for that when you get into this business. And if you're going to do things the right way, you know you're going to have to compete against unethical people. But let's be honest, there's unethical people recruiting college athletes, you know, for, for, for uh, sure. colleges oh, as well. Yeah. Sure. So, and if you, you know, you have to compete in that environment and you can't, you know, you have to stay true to who you are. And so it's, 
You're going to have that whenever you have big business. And that's what this is. This mm -hmm. is big business. Oh, yeah. Ever had an agent try to steal one of your clients? All the time. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, you know, I probably got, I got to check my phone right now because it's probably <laughs> happening right now. Um, when you represent good players that, you know, are, in a, are going to be in, in demand in the market, they're always going to be trying to do it. I mean, you know, and as a young agent, it's hard to get a good night's sleep because you know somebody's out there trying to do it. And, yeah. you know, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, but, I mean, I, we've had clients, we've had clients who've been offered everything from, you know, things from monetary, from a lot of money to opportunities in clubs with girls. I mean, you yeah. name it, it's been, that's always going to be the case. But again, that's why you have to, when you recruit a player, it's a two-way street. Again, we've backed off the kids in recruiting because they said they're not the type of guy. Not Maybe we thought they'd be okay in the short term, but they are the type of guy in the long term. And character means, I mean, and I think there's a kind of a uh, direct correlation to how successful those type of people are as well. How many clients have you lost then to an agent who stole them away somehow? Um, very many? Very, very, very few. Yeah. Um, very few. In fact, I can only recall really, uh, you know, very few. In the world of basketball, it's a little bit more challenging um, because, you know, we talk about basketball and the grassroots and all those type of things, and it's more, there's more what we call street runners. The NFL PA has done a better job of attempting to regulate it. Um, but very few. I think it's been the exception rather than the rule. But it's always something you're fighting, and it's something that, um, you know, if somebody does do that, I'm going after them. Mm -hmm. You know, then we talk about that feisty attitude. Okay, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not taking any more charges. <laughs> this is my way. I'm going to be able to go after them if that ultimately happens. That's what I want to be a sports agent? Buddy Baker discusses. Good one-on-one -on -one continues. Back on one-on-one, -on -one. Mark Monteith here with sports agent Buddy Baker. Being an agent isn't like it's portrayed in the movies or on TV. Like most jobs, it's not as glamorous as people might think. Yeah, he's in it for the money, but it's a lot more involved than that. Other than the money you make, where does the pleasure come from in your job? You know, what uh, makes it fun for you and keeps you doing it? I would say two things. Um, um, one is we compete at the highest level in the world. So that's not to minimize other professions, but when we compete, when I'm in a contract negotiation with a club, whether it's the Colts or whether it's the Pacers or whoever it may be, or it's a, a college, we're competing at the highest, most visible level. And some of the things that I've had access to and been involved in are, are just incredible. And let's say I went into the practice of law, you're not involved at that level. You do some big deals, et cetera, but you're not competing. You're not doing something that the whole city's talking about. Um, you're not doing something that really galvanizes a community. And so to be able to be competitive and like when we talk about, you know, recruiting players, we're recruiting against the biggest companies in the world. There's nobody else trying to sign NFL players that, you know, we're not competing against, you know, Tom who's sitting in his living room. Mm -hmm. We're going to work out of his basement. We're competing against the biggest companies in the world. So to be able to compete at that level and at that level in this industry at the highest level is very rewarding because when you're successful, you feel like you're very, very, you know, good at what you do, so to speak. Um, the other part, and probably which overrides the first part, is just being able to help guys. And we all have um, identifiable skills and, and traits, and which are, we're put on earth for. And obviously, contract negotiation is a big part of what we do, the professional side. 
But I think as big a part of that is, you know, kind of you look at the word lawyer, a lot of times as people go back, you say it's a counselor. And that's kind of what we get to do to help guys as they navigate through their careers and their lives. Um, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And um, I always tell people I'm not good at a lot of things, most things. But I am good at that. And I can help players, you know, navigate and make decisions. And how do you deal with this? How do you deal with to deal with a club? How do you deal with this injury? What should I do as far as a contract negotiation? How do I deal with a coach who's not being fair or perceived not being fair? You know, kind of should we do what should we do from a marketing standpoint? What should be our should we brand? Should we be in the social media and not be in the social media? Um, what type of things should I say to the media? Those type of things. Um, and then again, and that migrates, Mark, into the personal aspect. Mm-hmm. Do I buy a car or do I lease a car? I mean, when you talk about young people, what's your credit score? And helping people understand that. It's very, very rewarding. Part of that is, you know, being parental, right? Being mm-hmm. paternal in some sense. Um, and so just helping guys and, and players kind of get more out of life than they otherwise would have gotten out of the profession is probably the most rewarding aspect. How do you learn to negotiate? You know, you're negotiating contracts with uh, NFL and NBA executives, you know, I guess through just through experience, you know, hard knocks, that type of thing. I mean, I think twofold. I think one, first, I would say it's, it's either innate and it's not to a certain degree. You have to have the personality where you understand, you know, what it takes to be successful. Um, We when I do it, um, I never lie. I never lie. Um, You know, there's some poker. That's mm-hmm. always played in a negotiation, and we play poker, and I'm pretty good at it. But that's, I'm never going to lie. Dishonesty, there's no room for any sort of dishonesty in this world, but yet in business, it's, I, won't, I won't break that ethical boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so it has to be somewhat innate in you. You, have to, you can't be passive and be a good negotiator in the world of sports. You can't. They'll, they'll, you, you have to have certain traits which make you do that. The other thing that you can do is you can become very, very knowledgeable about the intricacies of the collective bargaining agreement. Um, you can study contract. You can study trends so you know everything that's out there. Um, so if you study, when we do a contract, we're studying every contract that's been done. I was doing it today um, for wide receivers and cornerbacks, looking through again as we have clients that approach free agency, just studying all the deals. What's the differences so that by the time free agency rolls around, you know, I can do it without paper. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that positions you to be successful. And the other thing that probably gets lost is communication. We just talked about helping guys. Every player, typically players think they're worth more than they are. Mm-hmm. And they, they fail to ever see the downside. Um, and you have to communicate that to a player because especially in the NFL, there's tons of examples of players who didn't want to negotiate a long-term deal when they were on a franchise tag by way of example, then got hurt and they never saw the, they never saw the big payday. So understanding at some point, you know, where is that breaking point? So communicating that to your client is invaluable. If you don't have that ability, you can't be successful and you can't be a yes man. Um, it's easy to be. A, it's, it's hard not to be a yes man mm-hmm. because, you know, this is the person who's paying you. They're writing you a check, signing it, paying you a, a considerable amount of money, but you can't be a yes man. You have to tell them the pros and the cons and you have to realize it's not your deal. So I tell every player, it's not my deal. It's your deal. Every coach, it's your deal. Now, here's what you should do, and here's why you should do. I'll tell players, coaches, not as much. This is what I would do for my son, and this is what I'm telling you, and I'd represent him no differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like I say, when it's filled with gray, it's that player's choice. When it's black and white, we say, hey, dummy, it's yeah. black or white here. You can do what you want, but, I mean, yeah. you're just making a mistake. And, in fact, I'm probably going to put it in writing because you're going to kind of learn to live to regret the mistake you're making. 
I'm sure you get asked all the time from kids in college or whatever, hey, I want to be a sports agent. How do I do it? Don't. Is that what you tell them? <laughs> I, I, it depends. I mean, it's it, why do you want to be a sports agent? Yeah. Don't tell me because you watch Sports Center. And not, you know, yeah. I mean, don't you know? And so it takes five minutes usually to tell whether the person we talked about. You have to have certain characteristics. You've got to be, you know. I, I told you in high school, I won that bulldog award, mm-hmm. right? Are you a bulldog? That's what people want. And so now you. That doesn't mean you have to be unethical. That doesn't. That doesn't. But you have to zealously fight for your clients, um, in a tough world, and you have to do it. Here and here's the challenge that a lot of the young agents don't understand. We t- you know, we talked about this about a player off the air about maintain with maintaining those relationships. Do the clubs respect you and respect your opinion in the NBA and the NFL? Can you build the respect of the administration at a college, of the search firms, et cetera? And how you conduct your business, how you do those things, will do that. Now, some you can't you can't just go in like the bull in the china shop. Yeah. You know, you have to understand what the situation is and how much leverage you have and how you do it. And I try to go into every aspect of what I do with a professional, calm demeanor. Sometimes you have to lose it a little bit, but mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't need to mean to be the way that you start out. Um, and so you can tell when you sit down with a young college student, what type of person is he? How has he done? You know, how's he done academically? Why haven't you done? Why why have you not fared as well? What was the reason? Well, you know, we talk about this. We want people who are well rounded. Well, what have you done? I mean, we all could just go to college and get bad grades and, and hang out and, you know, party all night. That's fun. We all like doing it. But is it the person that really took that? And now, all of a sudden, you're going to get serious about your career. Now you're going to get serious about it. So you kind of look at what they are. Everybody thinks, in theory, it, it's that. And we say, how are you going to get clients? Oh, I know. Don't tell me. It's that's the that's the challenge of our business, Mark. How they, people can't get clients. Ninety five, you know, what ninety five percent of the restaurants fail, right? Mm-hmm. Location, location, location. Yeah. Well, ninety five percent of the agents fail. Why can't get clients, right? Because it's really if you break it down, there's two aspects to our business: getting clients and keeping clients. Mm-hmm. If you can't get past the first hurdle, you don't get the second one. You how are you going to get clients? Well, how are you going to sell yourself? We're, we're in a fixed fee industry. Everybody's paying the same thing, right? So if you hire Exclusive Sports Group and Buddy Baker, or you hire, you know, a billion-dollar company, you pay the same thing. So how many people would hire the small law firm in Indianapolis when they can have the biggest law firm in the world for the same money? See, because in the practice of law, mm-hmm. the, the hourly fee is probably three times as much there. Right. So you and when the only difference and the only and we're providing service, we don't have a product. Our tangible product, we have no tangible product. Our product is us. And so how are you going to convey that to somebody? Because on a good player, there's going to be 100 people that do it. 50 of them might be clowns, but 50 of them are going to be legitimate, credible agencies. How are you going to distinguish yourself? And so that's kind of what we go through as, as you do that. And 95 plus percent of the people can't overcome that hurdle. Yeah. Then, so you can tell me how you're going to service the clients. You know, I have no clients to service. There's nothing to service. So... Once you tell somebody that and they tell you their story and what their plan is, they usually choose a different profession. One-on-one with Buddy Baker continues in a moment. All right, thanks to Buddy Baker for joining the one-on-one clientele. It's good to hear from a sports agent because they're an integral part of professional sports. Most players need one, and they certainly need a good one. you got to give Buddy credit for working his way up from ground zero and establishing a successful practice. It wasn't easy, but as you can probably tell, he's made for the job. 
Sounds like he's right out of central casting, doesn't it? His phone was buzzing throughout our conversation, so he had a lot of calls or texts to make after we finished. I asked him if he's ever lost his phone, and he has a couple of times. That resulted in sheer panic, so now he carries two. One just as a backup with all his contacts in it. Now, if you missed part of this episode or want to hear one of the others in the one-on-one archives, 1070thefan.com is the place to be. Click on Shows, click on One-on-One, click on the podcast link, and you'll have 24-7 access to every episode. You can reach me by email at mark at 1070thefan.com, and you can find me on social media on Facebook and Twitter. The Twitter handle just happens to be at Mark Monteith. And I'll be back again next week with another Spine Tingler right here on FM 107.5 and 1070 The Band.